A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, March 11th. As usual, at the end of Fashion Month, I sat down with our editor-at-large, Tim Blanks, to reflect on the Fashion Month gone by. But of course, this was not your typical Fashion Month. Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which began the day Prada showed in Milan, raised questions about whether it was even appropriate for Fashion Week to go on amid the horror, and how the industry should respond to the unfolding tragedy and loss of human life. 
By the end of Milan, when Giorgio Armani held his show in silence, there were signs that the industry was beginning to pay attention. And this week, Tim and I reflect on the shows and how they were interpreted through the lens of the crisis unfolding in Ukraine. Here's Tim Blanks and I reflecting on Fashion Week in the shadow of war. Hello, Tim. Welcome back to London. It has been an extremely stressful and unusual fashion month. But as always, I wanted to catch up with you to get your reflections. And we can't really talk about this fashion month without talking about the war in Ukraine, which broke out the day of the Prada show in Milan. I guess I want to start just by asking if you think it's appropriate for Fashion Week to go on as a war is breaking out. I know it's a question that you know others pose to you during the last couple of weeks, but now that you've had some time to reflect on it, you know where did you end up? It's not the first time that Fashion Weeks have happened during wars. I was talking to a retailer in Paris the other day who reminded me that the first time I ever interviewed him was during the Gulf War in 1990, and people were asking the same questions then and wondering if fashion would ever be the same. I think the thing that has been so terrible about this one is, is first of all, its proximity and also the incredibly vicious nature of it, like instantly. It felt like there was no slow buildup or anything. It was just on, like instantly. And the fact that it happened between Milan and Paris you know, I, I think people were trying to formulate an appropriate response, you know, like, what do you do in this? You know, after 9-11, New York Fashion Week was cancelled. Obviously, New York was in a, you know, an absolutely catastrophic state. But Milan and Paris continued with an acknowledgement of the, of the situation that was unfolding. And uh, that's the decision that people made this week. My feeling was that uh, the incongruity of it was obviously enormous. And it was such a disconnect to see the news in the morning before, you know, you leave your hotel room to go to shows to see what was happening. As Demna pointed out, what was happening is closer to Paris than Benidorm is, you know, where where people go on holiday. It's interesting you say that, Tim, right? Because, you know, the other reaction, of course, from a lot of people is that there have been plenty of other wars in Syria, in Iraq, you know, in other places over the last 10, 15, 20 years, you know, where hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people have also been injured or died. But, you know, I guess you called it the proximity to Europe that just made this seem more close to home. But the, the war, wars have been, you know, the Americans went and bombed Iraq, you know, and what we know now on the basis of poor intelligence, you know, the, the war in Syria has been going on. And, you know, we know that Putin was involved in kind of raising cities to the ground there. So what makes this different? I think a big difference is those wars raged for, and are still raging in, in some cases for years. This happened, bang, right in the middle of Fashion Week, like the 9-11 attacks did well, at the very beginning. And that, that made it not just a proximity, but also it was so instantly there. You know, it wasn't in the background. It was just right there in front of us. I know there's been a lot of coverage about how the coverage of this war seems to be slightly different because well, different because it's easier for people to look at the Ukrainians and see themselves, maybe. You know, and so many people have connections. And the coverage of it has been, in some cases, kind of racist, you know, because like 
just because Ukrainians may look more like other Europeans doesn't make their lives any more valuable. And that, you know, of course, it's it's horrific what's happening in Ukraine. And, you know, we've been trying to cover the war sensitively on BOF and also address the impact on the industry. You know, when you were speaking to people on the ground in Milan and Paris, did you get a sense that designers and other industry professionals were concerned about the Yes, yes. I mean, it was it was all anybody was talking about, really, just because it was so present. I mean, some designers made speeches before or made, made announcements before their shows. Other designers played a song that could be considered relevant to the situation. Like, give peace a chance or, and, you know, and love, songs about love. You know, I think more than anything, the, the sort of ineffectuality of almost any response is exposed in, in something like this. Um, you know, the thing that you wrote, the call to action that you wrote in BOF, I think was a sort of direct and kind of complex, you know, recognizing the full scope of the issue, that the moral, ethical, the commercial, whatever, the, all the considerations that come into something when an industry like fashion is confronted with a war. But I think what you're looking at is, is people who have made collections and conceived of a presentation months before what happened. So Demna's show for Balenciaga moved people. It, it shattered people. But it was intended to be a show about climate change, which lent itself all too graphically to a statement about refugees and war. I mean, unwittingly, but it did. Which is what I found so interesting about this season, because as you mentioned, the designers have been working on these shows for months, but then they're seen through the lens of what's happening in the world. And with Demna's show, with his own personal lived experience of being a refugee at the age of 10, having to escape from Georgia in the midst of a similar kind of attack by the Russians, I think people were very moved. And that was, as you say, completely coincidental in a way, because that's not what he had intended. But do you think it's important for designers to kind of adjust their approach to reflect what's happening? Or do you think some of the attempts at kind of observing or recognizing that these are not normal times by any means came off as a bit tone deaf? Uh, mawkish, maybe, the word that it came to me uh, once or twice. And then the funny thing was, when you sat through a show where there was no acknowledgement, then you were kind of thinking, well, that, that seems a little bit kind of tin-eared. So it's a, it was kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario in a way. Demna, obviously, the, the response to his show was, there were the people who were just enraptured and, and stunned and, and moved. And then there were other people who said, well, you know, this is making commercial hay with an absolute human tragedy. And I think the fact that what is happening in Ukraine is his lived experience of what happened to him and his family in Georgia 20 years ago, 30 years ago, kind of gave him a credibility. It's a horrible thing to think, but you could say that what he showed came from his heart, even if it was a completely different story he'd intended to tell, that it came from his heart, where with other people, it's kind of like not knowing what to do. They'll play a song. Yeah, I saw in Kathy Horn's review... You know, she made some comments saying that, you know, in spite of the fact that this is his experience, it felt like a commercialization of what is a human catastrophe. So I guess people had differing reactions. I, most people I spoke to were really, really moved by that show. 
But again, again, I would say in his defense or whatever, that it was a show about climate change. It was part two of the last show he did before the pandemic struck, which was that absolutely apocalyptic vision of the environmental degradation. That show just knocked people back in their in their seat. That was just one of the most devastating things that, you know, one of the most overwhelming things that I've seen on a, on a runway. And this was part two of that. And it was equally powerful. And I think yeah. what everyone probably agrees upon is Demna is a designer that's really driving and setting an agenda right now, not necessarily with the clothes that are on the runway, but in thinking about how fashion can be a vehicle for telling stories about what's happening in the world today. And yeah, I mean, I found it incredibly, incredibly powerful as a vision, you know, even if it was just the climate change bit, but with the added intensity of current events in the world, it just took on a whole other level. What I would like to know, and I wish I'd had the opportunity to ask him, was at the very, very end of that show, and there's a sort of horizon, you know, basically the show is taking place in like a huge snow globe. And there's a sort of horizon, the clouds are boiling in the sky. And and then there were flashes at the very end, as the last model was walking, there were flashes like artillery strikes on the horizon. It could have been lightning, of course, but I wonder if they were added. Yeah, that was what you called in your review, nuclear winter, right? Yeah, even though he, he, is, he insists on his optimism and he insists that he believes in that human beings are capable of changing for the better and with all the experience he's had in his life, he remains very, very optimistic about the human race. I felt that that end there just kind of struck this, another very apocalyptic chord for me. The other show that you and I discussed at length because it was just incredible, but actually made no specific reference to the war was Rick Owens. I mean, I thought that was one of his most, I think that was my favorite Rick Owens show ever, actually. And I've seen many Rick Owens shows, but just maybe the most beautiful poetic show of Rick Owens that I've ever seen. You know that when you're talking about fashion, like what Demna was doing, reflecting this current reality, that is, you know, when Cecil Beaton wrote it, wrote a classic book years ago called The Glass of Fashion. And, and there's always this idea that fashion always is sort of un, a subtext, that fashion reflects what is going on. But it also every so often projects a reality, not just reflecting the one that exists, but projecting something else. And I think Rick Owens has always been able to do that. And he's always been able to, as you said, there's nothing, there's nothing specific there, but it, it feels like you know that you're watching something which is a comment on what is happening now, whatever it might be, all through his career. He's managed to do these things just with such force. And funny, such force, but such subtlety as well. What struck me with this one, you know, his soundtracks are always heavy, very, very dark and pounding very often. And he does those extraordinary remixes of, has these extraordinary remixes made of songs. And, and so there's always a sort of slightly, slightly dystopian edge to the soundtrack. He listened to the soundtrack he made for this show, but you know, he always works to the soundtrack of the show while he's designing the collection. And he thought it sounded in the light of what had happened in the last week, he thought it sounded like artillery. And he said that is totally the wrong thing to do. And you can imagine the rat-a-tat-tat of, of a Rick Owens soundtrack. So he replaced it with Mahler's Fifth Symphony. And he's never had a soundtrack like that in a, in a show before. And I think it added 
so much to the clothes. Those clothes were so utterly beautiful that if that if they'd been walking to the usual Rick Owens, which he told me what it was going to be, and I listened to it, and I thought, yeah, that would that would have sounded like a Rick Owens show. And this was just something else. I mean, he he chose Zamala because he thinks it's very sentimental and and almost kitsch in a way. But with those clothes, it just felt he was making a comment there about beauty, you know, and about the necessity for beauty and how beauty is even more vital in in dark times as something to salve the soul. And it was just with that music, it was just so beautiful. And then it becomes a comment, you know, you look at that and you think there will be a better day ahead, you know, at some point. I loved it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts, and not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, 
pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. From kind of poetic, meaningful, you know, highly creative shows like Demna and Rick, I'm curious to get your take on Chanel and Dior. Both brands have performed extremely well during the pandemic. They're raising their prices of their core products. Dior opened this incredible new flagship store in the original building where Mr. Dior founded the business and where he worked, which has now been preserved in this museum and his original cabine where he used to fit all the clothes on the models. I mean, and, you know, and Chanel obviously has Virginie Villard kind of continuing her tenure there. I, you know, what, what do you make of the Dior and Chanel's of the world and how they're developing as brands, but also how they're developing creatively versus what they were before under people like uh, Karl Lagerfeld and Raf Simmons and Galliano and others? Well, the first thing is, when you walk into both those shows, the vastness the scale of the presentation hits you immediately. There's a sort of giantism there right off the bat, uh, this sort of confident imperial statement, you know, ab- about the context immediately establishes the, the, the scale of the business. I mean, the portraits, the, uh, the Italian feminist artist um, whose portraits covered the walls at Dior and then the tweed walls, the tweed floors, the tw- I mean, just like, I was, I was just, what, what's going to happen to all that tweed? Um, I was wondering, because it was like, it looked like a, about a century's worth of tweed production. I, I think what's, what's really interesting when you look at those, when you look at both of those collections, is how young they skew. I know that this was a theme of the season, that every venue and most hotels were surrounded by thousands of screaming teenagers, like Beatlemania or something, to... <laughs> to, to use a reference from a, another time and place. There's been people outside shows before. I've never seen anything like this. This was insane. This was TikTok mania. But here, like at the Dior show, when Rihanna was there, and I think her presence passed, well, it didn't pass unnoticed, obviously, because she's Rihanna and she was extremely pregnant and looking absolutely phenomenal. But there was somebody from, from the, the group's called Blackpink, isn't it? Jisoo apparently has like 300 million followers or something. I mean, like a, a continent, an entire continent of people follows her. And the hysteria. I mean, it's kind of interesting, right? Because those crowds outside the shows have been growing for some time. But now when, you know, regular old people like you and me are walking into those shows, it kind of feels it feels very exciting because there's like so much like energy that you know, there's every time someone walks out of a car, you know, that's a notable person. There's like a massive, they scream just like, you know, Michael, I, you know, we used to scream for Michael Jackson or like you. Well, I, to show my age, I went on the road with the Bay City Rollers in 1975. I toured Australia with the Bay City Rollers. And it was that, it was that kind of hysteria, that kind of real pop idol hysteria. Um, I love it when our car pulls up and everybody's looking at the cars and of course, <laughs> and then we get out <laughs> two old hacks climb out of the back. And like, oh, all the cameras go um, down. <laughs> um, and then that influences the collections. You're looking at clothes that the market's younger. The clothes are definitely younger. 
I think you saw the same thing at Louis Vuitton. And the last few days, you were getting a, a very strong sense of with the, with the crowds outside and the clothes on the catwalk that these designers have a new constituency in mind. You know, there was a lot of knee socks. <laughs> Knee socks, it seemed to be lots of knee socks everywhere, which was kind of interesting. The thing, the thing that I was intrigued by with Dior and Chanel, I'm thinking the very first show I saw in Milan was Diesel. And I'm going into the show and I'm thinking, this is going to be the season of euphoria in fashion, because that show is obviously, you know, connected with people in such a visceral way. And it's very much about how those people style themselves in that show. So, of course, the first person I see is one of the girls from Euphoria is there. And then at Prada later, Hunter Schaefer walked in the show. And Storm Reid was in the in the front row. Was in the front row. And then, you know, then the boys from Euphoria started showing up at things. Jacob Elordi yeah, and the guy who plays Elliot. I was really surprised to see him at Saint Laurent. I think all the others were there at some point or another. Zendaya was at Valentino. But I was expecting a little bit more. Like, I think Dior and Chanel acknowledge this younger constituency but their clothes it's still you're not looking at clothes and thinking oh they'd be wearing that I'll be wearing that on euphoria next season actually you know there's something i wanted to say before about rick owens and, and demner and the whole strange mood of the season with the war happening and the crowds of screaming people and so on that you know there was a lot of talk about the roaring 20s at the beginning of the 20, 2020s and there was just going to be this new decade of like incredibly, you know, when the pandemic ended, there'd be this frenzy, this explosion. It feels to me like we have bypassed the Roaring Twenties and gone straight to the Thirties. I have to say that I was feeling of quite a Thirties silhouette in like Rick Owens and Prada, I thought. A little bit at Dior, the way that Maria Grazia Curie deconstructed the new look. And then you realize that that new look silhouette was quite referent, you know, did reference um, back to the, you know, the 30s a little bit anyway. And the 30s, this was such a dark decade and such a tumultuous decade and ending in, and ending in the catastrophe of World War II. This sort of felt, I was getting 30s, I wasn't getting roaring 20s anymore. I feel like we've jumped a decade. You know, that, that the giantism, this sort of rally feel of some of those big shows it all fits with me that there's this kind of weird mass mobilization going on in all directions. And, and it's going to be very interesting to see how this pans out. Well, obviously for, for everybody, but I think in fashion, particularly, this is going to be an awful lot for fashion to reflect and to project over the next few years. I'm really curious to see how people deal with it. And, but at the moment, I mean, for houses like Dior and Chanel, things seem to be pretty, golden don't they yeah i mean all the executives i i sat down with over the last few weeks they were obviously extremely concerned about the situation in ukraine but thus far there was no apparent impact on the business that they're doing and so it seems like customers are still going about their normal shopping behavior online and off amidst this unfolding crisis and for both the business side of fashion and the creative side of fashion, I guess the impacts of what's happening will only really begin to play out in the coming months. I guess the next season of fashion shows that we see, like this is now going to be playing in the backdrop for everyone as they're thinking about their next collections. And based on what's happening now, I don't particularly see a short-term resolution to this conflict. You know, Putin is digging in his heels, brazenly attacking civilian targets 
not clear what his end game is. So this seems like it's going to continue for some time. Well, his his playbook for victory has always been about terrorizing civilian populations. I mean, there's a sort of irony in all his talk about about how he's defending Russia from Nazis. That that of course was a page out of the Nazis. You know, the, the way they operate to terrorize civilian populations, blitzkriegs. Thinking about you know, we talked about fashion operating under the shadow of war in the past. That has tended to push fashion into a more escapist zone, you know, where it becomes, the way it presents itself as an alternative to horrifying reality is to offer escape into beauty and um, self-adornment and maybe frivolity even. And so I would see maybe that happening. This season, there wasn't that, of course, because, you know, nobody knew this was going to happen. So, and you're right, the consequences of it are still far from clear. So we don't know how it will play out. It could get a hell of a lot hell of a lot worse and there may not even be a fashion industry in six months for all we know i mean you know it it reminds me so much of the way i felt coming back from paris in march 2020 when at this time two years ago the uk wasn't locked down yet france wasn't locked down yet we were still kind of coming to grips with what coronavirus meant for the world and we were not sure but we just we knew it was going to be something monumental and we're back here again obviously a very different kind of global crisis but equally if not more frightening because it's in control of a dictatorial autocratic madman operating with a huge military and potential nuclear risk as well so i you know i'm I'm personally quite concerned about what all this means for the state of the world. And I've come back. Well, because you can track the escalation. You know, I knew when he started using thermobaric bombs, which, of course, he used in in Syria against civilians, that that's another escalation heading towards tactical nukes. I mean, and just this morning, the news of bombing a maternity hospital. Also what he did in Syria and, and Chechnya and Crimea, that's the way that What I find infuriating and frustrating is what Russians are hearing. Bald, bald bald-faced lies that the population is being fed that they believe because, I mean, we know how easy it is to make a lot of people believe a lot of lies. And I can't imagine, it's like stolen elections, how those lies split families. You can imagine in Russia, there are discussions with people who know what's happening. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure... I'm sure you've seen the stories of Russians in Ukraine speaking to their family members back home in Russia, having a completely different view of what's happening. And that's the result of a state propaganda machine. But what's really interesting, you know, Tim, in my Instagram DMs, I'm hearing from a lot of Russians who work in the fashion industry who have, through some means, been able to get more accurate information about what's happening and who are clearly against this war, but who do not have a safe way of voicing their concerns and who are extremely upset and concerned and worried, just like the rest of us are. Well, that actually, I've been reading about the rebirth of shortwave radio. That's how the BBC is reaching people. Yes. And you, you say that, and yet I, I, had, I had messages from a lot of people saying, you're a liar. Oh, I had a few of those, but I've had way that, that, that Putin is defending us from from Nazis. I mean, you only have to say the word Nazi in Russia to get a real knee jerk reaction because of, they are bitter memories that that 
any um, autocrat does well to stir up to guarantee support for himself. So, um, yeah, I know I definitely had some of those messages, but I've had way more, both in the comments and in my DMs saying, you know, because I've posted a couple of things saying this is like Putin's war. This is not the war of Russians. And, you know, Russians are responding to that saying, thank you. And so I, I think there is some group of people there who have access to more information. Maybe they're using social media and not getting information from television. I don't know how. Clearly, that's come to an end now because I think Facebook's been shut down and Twitter's been shut down. So the, the avenues for getting you know real information for those people is are reducing. For this to be happening in the second year of the second decade of the 21st century, I think that's hitting people too. That all the all the all the cries of never again and everything. They just unfortunately, we are doomed to repeat those mistakes over and over and over again. And as you said, this time the stakes are way, way higher than they've ever been before. Well, on that slightly depressing note, I will what can we no what what can we say about what what can we say about what we saw? One thing that we saw that made us feel wonderful. Um favorite shows. You know, we didn't speak about Bottega Veneta's new designer. We a lot of things. We should do we should do this again and do 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 the sort of part two where we actually speak about, you know, what we saw. We could talk a little bit about that. I have a few more minutes. What were your other highlights that we didn't touch upon yet? I think Glenn Martins is somebody who is, I mean, right now he's the person I'm watching. Having done those three collections, the Y Project, and then doing the Gauthier, being the guest designer for Gauthier Couture, and then doing Diesel. He's someone with a real breadth and a real vision. Um, I, I'm excited by him. I loved Prada. I loved, um, yeah, I love Prada. I love that sort of, I, it was kind of like Rick um, or Saint Laurent. Actually, I loved Saint Laurent. That 1930s thing again, that, that the sort of those long, those long kind of chiffon dresses and then those huge big coats, they, that felt to me in a, in a sort of in the same vein as Rick and Prada in that there was a sort of a contrast, the contrast between hard and soft was so striking and so kind of seductive in a way and, it, and so relevant, I thought. It was, you know, it's it, 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 coming back to Rick, it's, it's, or Anthony Baccarello at Saint Laurent or Mutua Prada and Raph Simmons at, at, at Prada. When you see designers have been doing something for a long time and sort of have a kind of a vocabulary that is recognizably theirs, and you sort of get it, you get used to it, and maybe you start taking it a little bit for granted or whatever. But then to see people bang, do these collections that are just completely recalibrate your opinion of them. That was very reassuring. That is something to feel good about, I think, that we saw this season, that there's a lot of hope in that kind of development and there's a lot of beauty in it. So hope and beauty. I mean, we take those away, don't we? Yeah. That was heartfelt, that little sigh. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm just, it feels heavy right now, you know? This was a first fashion month where I've done all four cities. So I'm feeling a bit tired, admittedly, but also like you, you know, definitely felt good to be back in the mix again. And in spite of what was happening in the world, good to be back. And for me, at least it's reaffirmed the importance of a physical fashion week. Yeah. Yeah. There was some, it was great. And seeing Gucci, seeing Alessandro Michele do a men's show during Women's Fashion Week and, and bring such a precision to Gucci to see fashion smartening up the way it did this season i thought was and then you know that was obviously that that was before what has happened happened but you know to manage to show collections that felt 
right for the relevant for the moment. We're talking about what kind of a response could people have, but could what kind of appropriate response could he could, what response could be enough? But then to show clothes like that, maybe that's enough in the end to validate fashion. I thought that was the most energetic Gucci show I've seen in a long time. I thought it was very, very well thought out. Okay. Well, thank you for encouraging me to end on a slightly more (laughs) upbeat note. And uh, why I'm here. You are. Exactly. But I'll speak to you soon, Tim. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Imran. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the BOF podcast for our look inside fashion and how it connects to currents in the wider world. If you're not yet a BOF professional member, join today with our 30-day risk-free trial and benefit from exclusive access to agenda-setting analysis you won't find anywhere else. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark, Kate Vartan, and Eric Bria in the BOF studio team. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. It's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.